0: You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. This week, we'll be welcoming two leaders from Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas, which volunteered to be a distribution site for the COVID-19 vaccine earlier this year. Reverend Patrick Turner has been in ministry for over 30 years and has served as the pastor of Mount Moriah for 14 years. He'll be joined by Deacon Terry Dillon, chair of Mount Moriah's Deacon Board. Together, they'll talk a little bit about the history of Mount Moriah, how the church's relationship to its mission field has changed over the years, and how making the COVID vaccine available to their neighbors fits in with their vision for ministry and service. We're going to jump right into the conversation as Reverend Turner shares a little bit about the history of the church. Then we'll come back together for a little bit of reflection and prayer.
1: Our Mariah will soon be celebrating sixty-four years of existence. The church started in what we call the Stop Six area of Fort Worth. It's a somewhat economically challenged area. Uh, It started because there was a need in that community for a new fellowship. The church started in a building that was less than 1,000 square feet. They later moved to an edifice that was about 3,000 square feet. And later on, a building was built, which brought the total capacity and square footage to about 8,000. Four years after I became pastor, we moved to our present location, which is in the Meadowbrook area, about three miles from where the original location was. And we now have more than 22,000 square feet and four and a half acres Uh, that we presently occupy
0: at the highest point in Tarrant County. You mentioned your church has quite a footprint. What's happening between worship services there like during the week? How are you all using that space?
1: We are in the process of perhaps opening a daycare. We've hosted summer programs with the uh, Department of Agriculture where we did feedings for breakfast and lunch with children in the community. So we've tried to make it as diverse as possible. And we're praying that this daycare would get off the ground and certainly be something that we can offer the community as it relates to childcare and things of that nature.
0: If we talk to some of the people who live near your church, but aren't members or aren't visitors, or maybe aren't even Christians, what would they know about your church? What would they tend to think about the work you all are doing in the neighborhood?
2: When a church first came here on this hill we were a new there was a church here before and most of the people in the community thought we were still that church because they didn't have a concept that we had changed up and that we were a new church under new leadership and then we went a couple of years like that and we realized that wait a minute we're not really actually getting in the community where we're at now we are still facilitating the community that we came from so that opened up our eyes because there were people that were saying, we didn't know y'all were open. And these were people across the street. So that we start doing outreach into the community, going house to house, door to door, reintroducing ourselves and letting them know that what Mount Morale has available for the community. And so now, even though members in the community may not be members of Mount Morale, they still take advantage of the services that we provide. And that gives us an the opportunity to reach them whether they become members or not. It doesn't matter if you are a member of my morale, if you're not a member of my morale, if you have a need, we want to be there to be able to help you get through that need.
1: And also prior to 2020 and COVID, every year we hosted a job fair, a health fair that was open to the community where we're able to provide jobs for numerous individuals in the community. They were able to come and get health and cancer screenings. Uh, We had blood drives. Uh, We also have food and clothing giveaways. So we try to be as active in the community as we possibly can. The community we now serve is called Meadowbrook, used to be a predominantly white community. It was uh, a kind of an upscale community. Uh, the demographics have changed. We actually bought the church from a white congregation. And so as Deacon Dillon alluded to, there were men in the community who did not know that the church had changed hands. And we had to actually get out and do street ministry. We we had to get out and walk and, and knock on doors and let them know that we were actually here in the community because the prior church that was here, because the demographics had changed, their membership was basically null and void. So they weren't doing a lot of things in the community. And so so we had to raise the awareness. And one of the things that helped raise the awareness as well is that we have a 100-foot cross in the air that's a, a landmark for this community. It's actually a Verizon cell phone tower, but it gave us some instant recognition as it relates to being the church and being available.
0: And how did COVID affect the community around your
1: church? Kind of like every place else, it affected the the job situation. It affected, became a challenge for parents, especially single mothers who had to find a way to take care of their children, had to find a way to be able to offer homeschooling. It created many challenges for our area. It it gave us the opportunity to, to reach out and perhaps be able to minister even to our own members who were single parents and needed help with children and getting them educated and things of that nature. So it pretty much created the same problems as it did throughout the United States of America. Well, basically worldwide, this is a pandemic, so it's worldwide. And so we had the same challenges here that many other communities had as well. And we tried to be a beacon for those who perhaps needed uh, a place to to go or even just for spiritual healing, because I think that many times during this pandemic, the one thing that people needed was uh, spiritual healing. And so we had to ramp up and be able to offer online service and places where people could still get the spiritual connection to Christ.
0: Early on in the pandemic, we worked with a couple other organizations to put together a resource library for ministry leaders to figure out how to provide different kinds of care during the pandemic, how to help people find food banks or navigate unemployment or get counseling. But one of the things your church has done to care for the community around you that is somewhat unique is you've actually become a vaccine distribution site in addition to the other things you're doing for your neighbors. How did that opportunity come up for you all?
2: Well, just like Stop 6, over here in Meadowbrook area. This was an underserved community when it came to the vaccination. There was no clinics here. So we saw a need. So we reached out to the local leaders, to our city councilmen, and try to find out what can we do. We're willing to host a clinic here in, in the Meadowbrook area, but what do we need to do? So the conversation started around that. We basically saw a need, and we wanted to try to fill it, because it didn't make sense to me, it didn't make sense to the members of the community that there was nowhere in this community to get a shot. They had to travel too far to get it, which made it inconvenient. And most of the people in this community now may not have transportation or they use public transportation. And if it was, wasn't was convenient, they wasn't going to do it.
0: Tell me a little bit more about how your church's leadership team made the decision to do this. You saw that there was a need, but how did you decide that this was a need that it was appropriate for your church to fill?
1: It was really a no-brainer as it relates to the leadership of the church. We we all are pretty much on the same page. And so when the idea and and the opportunity presented itself, it was really a no-brainer that, yes, this is something that that we want to do, this is something that we're going to do, something we've been waiting to do. Because again, especially as you probably know within the Black community, there's some skepticism as it relates to vaccinations and things of that nature. And the church has long been a a beacon of light within our community to where people feel that they can trust what's going on because it stems and it comes from the church. And so we wanted to be that beacon of light in the community that says, hey, it's okay to come and get your vaccination.
0: There's something also very encouraging or satisfying about people who are looking for protection or looking for healing or looking for their health to be secured, knowing that there's a giant cross that's a landmark that is also marking the spot where they can go for healing. I just, that delights me. Without a doubt. Before you started working with the city to distribute the vaccine... What was your relationship with the city council like generally and your city council member in particular, the one you worked with to get the church set up as a distribution site? Our city
1: city council person for this district is Gina Bibbins. I became acquainted with her when we were trying to get the the cell phone tower erected. When I went down to city hall, she said that she was impressed with, with, with the fact that I was adamant about having this erected. And we developed a close relationship. Not only that, but her dad. Dad, her deceased father is one of the founding pastors here in the city of Fort Worth, and we developed a unique relationship. She's a member of my home church here in Fort Worth, Mount Olive Baptist Church, and so we've done pilot programs with the city. We did a racial equality study with a local Presbyterian church here in the city, Mount Mariah is a favorite, if you will. And, 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 and I say that, but it's really true. Mount Mariah is a favorite with the city of Fort Worth because of of Gina Bibbins, And it's really just a favor of God. It's not because we've done anything so great, but God showed us favor. And so we're well known down uh, at the city of Fort Worth because of our council person, Gina Bivens.
0: And as you were getting a vaccine distribution site set up and running in your church, what was actually getting that up and running like? What went well? What were some of the unexpected challenges you faced? I know you you mentioned vaccine hesitancy earlier, and we'll get to that in a moment. But aside from that, what did you learn or what were you surprised by as you worked on this?
1: Okay, I'll let Dicker Dillon address that because he bit with with them when they came out to uh, uh, survey our facilities.
2: Yes. They, and it, when they came out, they decided to come out. They came out a Friday and looked at our facilities and said, OK, it's acceptable. We'll be back next Friday to host the clinic. So we had seven days, get everything prepared, advertising, get the word out to the community. So in the beginning, the challenges was because of the time constraint, there was a lot of scrambling to get, let people know. So we had to put it on our website. We had to get it out on our sign billboards. We had to get it out in the um just get flyers out in the community just to try to let everybody know that was the biggest challenge. And I'm pretty sure we in that time we probably didn't hit everybody we needed to get to. But the biggest challenge would have been just letting people know that it was available. And when we had the, and then when we had the COVID clinic, we were surprised at the amount of people that actually came to the clinic, that they actually found out about it, they understood it, they heard it. Because we advertised in, as you say, this has become a Hispanic and black community now. We advertised in both languages to get the word out there to make sure we reached anybody. It didn't matter if they was a member of this church or not, because we're in the business of trying to bring people to healing. And this shot gives them an opportunity to heal what's going on with them. And as leaders of the church, one of the first things we did was we took the shot first. And then Pastor, every Sunday after he got his shot from the pulpit, he would let people know, I'm still standing. I'm still okay. It's okay. You can come get the shot. And this happened before we even knew we were going to be a clinic. I got a
1: call on a Thursday evening that said we have 2000 doses available and we need to get those shots into arms and we need to do this by next Friday. Can you host the shot clinic? <laughs> so, we didn't have a lot of prep time. We didn't have a lot of time again to advertise and 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 to promote it. But with God, you don't need a whole lot of time because he specializes in taking small things and doing a lot with him. So we were able to pull it off successfully. And even at that, we had one of the worst thunderstorms you could think of that afternoon. So we had a lot of things that really seemed to be working against us but it was successful. And uh, the second phase will be this coming Friday where they'll come back and get their second shot. Even if they didn't get their first shot here, they can get their second shot here. And if they have not had any shots, they can actually receive their first shot here on, on this coming Friday as well. So it's an ongoing thing that we hope to continue until most of this community or any other communities have received the vaccines.
0: And you'd mentioned that a lot of your neighbors have some degree of hesitancy about the vaccine and even some members of your congregation. Where does that come from? Where does that hesitation come from? A,
1: a lot of it is, is, is rooted, again, in things that have happened among the black community, the, the Tuskegee study and other things that have happened that have caused us to have some hesitancy as it relates to getting vaccinated. Even in our own church, I've tried to impress upon our members Again, I was one of the first to receive the vaccines, and then I was able to, because of some connections I had, I was able to allow some of our other members to get it as well. And they asked us from City Hall for all local religious members, especially in the Black community, to get the vaccine so that we could then encourage our parishioners to go and receive it as well. Most of them did. But then you have some who just have that hesitancy that they're not going to do it because, again, they think that it, it hasn't been long enough. There hasn't been enough studies made as of yet. And so they're just not ready to take it yet. And for those people, you you, you can't try to uh, be too forceful. You've got to allow them to do it at their own pace, at their own time. Some of our elderly members who I really thought would be uh, adamant about getting it have decided they don't want to take it. And at that point, there's not a lot you can do other than pray that they stay healthy. And at some point they'll realize that this is something that that's safe to do. It's I tell them all the time, it's like any medicine you take, there are some side effects. I don't care if it's a Tylenol, that there are some side effects. And so you've got to have enough faith to say that even though th- there may be some things that are not right with it, the benefits far outweigh whatever side effects there might be.
0: You mentioned the Tuskegee experiments, and even before the COVID vaccine, over the last couple of years, people have been bringing the Tuskegee experiments up a lot as part of the, a narrative or a continuum of mistreatment of Black people in the U.S. So how Especially when that is top of mind for some people. How do you help people differentiate this vaccine from the Tuskegee experiments? That seems like a very complicated conversation to have. With someone who is actively afraid of something.
1: It is. The the thing that makes this different, much more so than any of the others, is that COVID-19 is not a black disease. It's not a white epidemic, or pandemic. It's worldwide. It crosses all racial lines. It crosses all economic barriers and lines. It's all inclusive. And so anything that's beneficial as it relates to COVID-19 is beneficial to every segment. And so if you can get people to understand that the, the black, the white, the brown, the Latino, the Asians, the Japanese, the Chinese, it affects all of us. And the vaccine is good. If I may use a Bible quotation, it's good for the healing of the nation. And so it is not anything that's racially motivated or that's put out to hurt us because everybody, if you go get the shot, you'll see every race of people in line getting the same
2: shot. And to add to that is unlike the Tuskegee experiment, nobody knew what was going on. It was done in the dark. It was experimenting and nobody knew. With this, there is information available. We give you the information. You can study it, read it, find it. We can tell you where to go to get it, and you can make a decision on it. And you can make a, hopefully, you'll make a decision that's beneficial for you and your family because at least you have the information to look at.
0: I know that my church has been doing the kind of a YouTube church model for the past over a year now. And this spring, they started, in addition to that, doing outdoor worship services in a park. But I also know that my pastors and elders at my church are actively trying to figure out when they're going to start regathering indoors again. And I think they're doing it, they've decided recently they're going to do it soon. And my wife and I are really trying to figure out what would make us comfortable bringing our family back to indoor worship in terms of rules about masks, whether they're going to require proof of vaccination. And I just don't envy ministry leaders who are needing to make these decisions on behalf of large groups of people that probably disagree with one another. There are probably people in my church who think my wife and I are being way too cautious and people in our church who think my wife and I are going to be way too reckless (laughs) based on us making the exact same decision. How is your ministry team, uh, and especially your leadership team, talking about this, thinking about this, making this decision? And how is the fact that you're hosting a vaccination clinic changing the way you're talking with your congregation about regathering?
1: We've made the decision that we're back in service. We're, we're back open. Of course, we're still adhering to CDC protocols. Even though that mandate has changed in the last week to 10 days, we're still adhering to to those protocols. We, we require masks. We're still socially distancing. We don't have a quote-unquote choir. Normally, we would have a choir of 30 to 35. We have what's called a praise team. They are socially distanced as well. They're in the choir loft, which is quite a distance from the normal congregation. During the entire service, all of the parishioners are required to keep their mask on. When the praise team is not singing, they have to have their mask on. When I'm not speaking, I have my mask on. All of our communion is taken in a self-contained, disposable uh, receptacle. You peel off the top and there's a bread. You peel off another layer and, and there is the wine or the drink.
0: Has that always been the case, or is that a
1: new COVID precaution? No, we've all we, we've used that for a number of years.
0: How tightly packed was your congregation before COVID on a Sunday, and is are there just fewer people coming right now, or have you had to add more services to accommodate for the distance, or are there people participating in worship from different parts of your campus? What we're
2: doing in our congregation, we're in the main building. We're using every other seat and three people to a, we have pews. So it's three mm-hmm. people to a pew, unless you're a family member, then you can have more in a pew. And we're using every other pew. So we can try to keep six feet every Not direction. Fair. And then we're also, we put in the back of our church, we have a large section where people are usually gather. We set chairs, we distance the chairs back there, which is enough seating for about 20 more people. And if it's more than that, then we open our second facility up we can stream it over there and we can get people over there as leaders. We've had that conversation. Is it time? Is it time? Is it time to come back to church? And we've struggled with that. We've been talking about it for several months. And then we finally come to the decision that, okay, it's time, but we're not going to make anybody come back to church. We're going to give you the information. We're going to try to put protocols in place to make you feel safe and try to do our part. We do temperature checks coming in. We keep a record of everybody that comes into the Church, we sanitize the building. We have only let so many people in the restroom at once. So just take as many precautions as we can to make people huh. feel safe. We uh, also let them know if you have a if you have a fever or if you have feel like you're sick. We prefer you to stay at home because we are streaming on every social media where you can stay at home and watch it. We have seen some churches actually collect the memberships COVID card. And, and they are only letting those members come back to church, we're not doing that. We also have the masking, and because of the favor of the Lord, we've had no outbreaks. We had no cases that happened in the church since we've been doing this.
0: For the people who have felt comfortable coming back and have been healthy enough to come back without endangering other members of the church, what has been the thing they're most happy about?
1: Just to be back in the fellowship, just to be able to see people. Again, I've been here for 25 years. When you've grown accustomed to seeing someone at least once a week, many times, two or three times a week, depending on if they come to Bible study or other functions in the church, when you've been accustomed to seeing some of those people every week for 25 years. And then you go 14, 15 months and perhaps not see them at all. It's losing or missing a family member. And so when you see them, it's like a great family reunion. It's almost going to heaven. You're you're just just overjoyed because these are people that you come to love, that you've come to grow accustomed to fellowshipping with. And and when you see them, and I'm a hugging pastor, I'm, I'm very animated. I'm very loving with, with with the congregation. And it's hard not to embrace those people because you're glad to see them. And so they're just glad to be back in the fellowship. And online is great. I thank God that we have that platform. I would hate to think what would have happened had this happened 20, 25 years ago when we didn't have social media, we would have been lost. And I'm grateful for that, but there's nothing like being in the spirit being in with other worshipers and other believers, because we draw strength from other believers.
0: All right. That was my interview with Reverend Patrick Turner and Deacon Terry Dillon of Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I've spent most of my Christian life in churches that are fairly young, fairly new actually planted within my lifetime. So whenever I'm talking with someone who's helping to steward a ministry that's been around for a lot longer than I've been around, I always have to adjust my thinking a little. Now, I know that in the grand scheme of our faith, 60 or 70 years isn't really that long. There are definitely people listening to this who are part of ministries that have been around for 100 years, 200 years. And our faith is built around the idea that things that happened 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world, are still immediate and relevant to us today. And the Gospels tell us that if we think Jesus' life is relevant to us, then we have to understand that all of human history is relevant to us, going back to Abraham and even to Adam. So yeah, 60 years for a Christian isn't really that long. But it's still long to me. And it's a decent chunk of U.S. history. It can be anywhere from 10 to 25 percent of the history of the country, depending on how you count. And it's more than enough time for a person or for a group of people to get set in their ways. I've seen plenty of churches have a hard time adjusting to new circumstances, A generation grows up and starts aging into membership or even leadership. A neighborhood or even a town changes drastically over the years, and the congregation faces a hard question. Do we change what we're doing, or do we stay who we are? Do we maintain the ministries that we know, that we know how to do, maybe the ministries that we're already known for? Or do we change who we are because the people around us seem to want or need something different? Do we change our habits and lose the church culture we've grown up with, the church culture that feels like home to us? Now, my bias, my instinct is to say, yes, of course you do. God's call is a call to leave our home, to give up things that make us comfortable in this world for the sake of being a blessing to others. One of the things Jesus identified as spiritual malpractice was putting your traditions ahead of the word of God. So, I always just reflexively, that's my instinct. And so I never want a church to feel like a club or like it's catering to the people who are already in there and not the people who are outside. But conversations like this one with Reverend Turner and Deacon Dillon make me stop and think about the fact that answering that question that way means I've actually bought into a false dichotomy, a false binary. A friend of mine likes to sarcastically say that the good thing about American politics is that it makes room for all two possible opinions a person could ever have about government. And while putting our traditions ahead of the Word of God is obviously something to avoid, when our traditions are in conflict with God's demands, our traditions should lose every time. But maybe we also sometimes assume there's conflict there when there's not. Whether we're conservative or progressive, if we live in the U.S. or if we live in a U.S. expat community or if we're saturated with U.S. culture and pop culture, we probably have a bias toward revolution. Maybe reinvention is a better word, a bias toward reinvention. It's not just a personal bias. It's built into how we tell stories and the systems we use to communicate. It's easier to market a new TV show or get your friends to check out a new TV show than it is to get people to watch a show that's been around for a season or two, but is really just getting good now. I mean, how many people listening to this have talked to someone who watched the first season of Parks and Recreation and then won't go back and watch any more of it, no matter how many times they hear people say, oh, yeah, watch this show, but just skip season one. It's not good. No one likes it. And even when it comes to this podcast, when we were getting this season together, we talked about the fact that new podcasts get special treatment in all of the discovery algorithms, all the recommendation engines. And we were talking about, would it make sense to start a new podcast instead of reviving this one, producing new seasons of this one? Revolution or reinvention is just something American life conditions us toward. In a lot of aspects of life, we give new things a chance— rather than waiting for new things to prove themselves. More on that in episode 49. And when that's our impulse, when that's the cultural water we're swimming in, it's easy to misread Jesus. It's easy to think he said, keeping any tradition is at odds with the word of God, and miss the fact that what he actually said was more nuanced than that. He said, I'm calling you out for elevating your traditions over the word of God. Churches like Mount Moriah prove that we can act in the present, that we can be in the moment, that we can really, truly meet the needs of the people around us while still being rooted in history. The church planted in one neighborhood. The neighborhood around them changed, so they changed the things they were doing to meet their neighbors and to meet their neighbors' needs. Then they moved to a new neighborhood, and they changed what they were doing again. And then COVID hit, and they changed things up again. But even as they did this, it was still a lot of the same people in the congregation. They didn't change the things that made this specific gathering of Jesus' body this specific gathering of Jesus' body. When the circumstances around them changed, they were able to change what they were doing to meet those circumstances without betraying who God had always been calling them to be. Now, this week, for prayer— Christian Civics Executive Board Member Nathan Lemer is going to lead us in a brief prayer for Mount Moriah Church, as well as for other churches taking similar steps to care for the health of their neighbors. Please, let's join Nathan in prayer.
3: Lord, you are the great healer. In fact, you are the healer. Our communities can only find health in you. There are very few times when we as a community get to see that so up close. And this conversation on this podcast it deals with with church leaders who are trying in good ways to be agents of renewal in helping to restore health and well-being in their neighborhoods, particularly through vaccine distributions, Lord. As it says in Jeremiah, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And we often think of the doctors in our churches and we often think of the nurses in our communities who are day in and day out serving and helping the welfare and and, and health of, of those around them. But in this conversation, we get to see how you work through other people and other channels to restore health and well-being in these communities. We look for new ways to better educate those around us about the benefits of of different health technologies that you have enabled to allow us to get back to normal and, and win this pandemic, and also, Lord, may you grant a discernment for those who are trying to explain a fact from fiction. For those who may be skeptical, may we speak well to those around us and find new ways to bring truth and help those in the healthcare industry better save our community and and increase health and get these vaccines in arms and how church buildings and church communities can foster that hope. In an age when we have a hard time finding trust, may the institution built around you, the bride of Christ, may we be an emissary of that truth uh, to those around us. Lord, bless this conversation and bless those who listen to it in the ways that they can further serve you. Amen.
0: All right, that's it for this week. A big thank you to Reverend Turner and Deacon Dillon for joining us. And a big thank you to Lauren Larson for producing today's episode. Visit our website, christiancivics.org, for show notes, including more information on Mount Moriah Missionary Baptist Church, a transcript of today's prayer and interview, and an action item based on today's conversation. And while you're there, you can also pick up a copy of Light to the World, Navigating Politics in Light of the Christian Story. That's our four-chapter Bible study and discussion guide on how the Bible's big themes of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration can change the way we think about government and civic life. We'll be back in a week when Nathan will be back to talk a little bit about humility and social media. Until then, Thank you for joining us as we all work together to think, speak, and act differently in the public square.